The kingdom of God is a treasure not only hidden in this world, but when you come across it, would you know how valuable it is? Would you be willing to sell all your other fields, all of your other businesses or houses or cars or, or stocks in order to buy that field with that treasure in it? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. We are here to help you navigate life by giving you the tools, knowledge, and skills to make your own decisions. Mm. Our goal on the Salty Pastor is to help you grow your faith. We believe that when you pursue Jesus, you become a person who knows what they believe and why they believe it. Someone who is not gullible, easily swayed, naive, immature, or overly sensitive, but someone who wants to navigate life with strength, courage, and confidence. My name is Jesse Mayer, we, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. <laughs> Douglas Peak. So good to be with you all today. It's just another exciting week as we start to roll in summer, end of May. So this is uh, episode 299 for the Salty Pastor. So on Thursday will be our 300th episode. So that's kind of a a little bit of milestone for us. Yeah, a little bit. And uh, we are currently studying the parables of Jesus because mm-hmm. we want to get a firmer grip on the kingdom of God and what it is. Yeah. We want to understand it better, its nature, its essence, where it exists, how it operates, and why we should want to be in it and live in it each and every day. Last week, we started in Matthew chapter 13 with the parable of the weeds and where mm-hmm. Jesus said the world is a field. He planted good seed and there is a growing kingdom of people here in it. Um, but Satan is also sowing bad seeds and those people are weeds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was such a great place to start because it really explains the great in between as we call, you mm. know, and that is, is that, uh, you know, God created the heavens and the earth and, and Adam and Eve were in a perfect place. There wasn't sin. There wasn't evil. There wasn't disease and sickness and all of these types of things. And then there was a fall. We invited evil in. And so how do you redeem that? How do you provide a way to, to let it start again? Well, there's a final judgment. We know mm. that that's coming where everything is brought once again under the authority of God, the father, Jesus Christ, his son. So we know that. And so, but what happens in between when people are struggling in this in between time, and that's when Christ came, he dies on the cross, and he plants the seeds of the kingdom. And so the parable of the weeds describes how these two kingdoms are growing in the field of the world at the same time, mm. and how we are to look at that. Um, so I think it's kind of a great place to start because all the other parables make more sense now when you realize there's two kingdoms side by side in the world, which is the field. Absolutely. And this week we're going to be staying in Matthew 13, actually, Mm -hmm. and studying four small parables that have a lot to say about the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. The parable of the mustard seed, the leavened bread, the hidden treasure, and the costly pearl. Two of these parables also appear in Luke 13, right? Yes. Yes. Two of them do. So you want to go through these one at a time? Yeah, yeah. Let's go through them one at a time. Kind of, uh, even though they're short, they seem to say a lot about the kingdom of God. They may be similar, but the differences are worth noting. And that nuance or whatever, those different angles in which it kind of talks about the kingdom of God, short though it is, gives us a deeper understanding and knowledge. Mm. 
of the kingdom of God. So the first one is in uh, verses 31 through 32. And it's kind of interesting. It's, it's kind of right between the parable of the weeds when he told it, and then he gives an explanation. So right in between it, he tells these short little parables. Okay. Yeah. And what's really interesting, why Matthew organized it that way, not quite sure, but I think he felt it was all salient and part of one type of overall point. But verse 31 says this, he presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is a person took and sowed in his field. So he intentionally planted it. He said, and this is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is fully grown, it is larger than the garden plants and actually becomes a tree. So that the birds of the sky come and rest or nest in its branches. So uh, I'm not much of a farmer. I don't know if you are. I was a rancher, but not a farmer. <laughs> not a rancher, yeah. And so mustard seeds, very small. You know, there's all kinds of mustard seeds that you can get, all different kinds of mustard. Mm -hmm. And it's... Uh, you know, when you grind them up, you add a little bit of liquid, you know, and you can create a paste or a cream or whatever, and it gives a flavorful zing to any meal that you're eating. You know, <laughs> the Germans are particular about their mustard. Grape upon. Uh, yeah, the French, they have grape upon. Uh, it also makes an excellent bonding agent for your barbecue rub on your meat, mm. right? So that works really well. I like that. Um, very popular seasoning. It's easy to grill. It has multiple varieties. Some varieties grow into plants that are pretty big, but actually there are varieties that grow into a tree. Right. Right. It's not, you know, big, huge, massive thing, but it's a tree. And so that's really quite remarkable. Um, mustard during the first century was such a common thing that, and people had used it and they employed it, salt, mustard, other types of uh, uh, spices and seasonings and so forth is that it became an idiomatic expression, you know, that they used. And so kind of like today we say, you know, he's a few bricks short of a full load or even just like, you know, I'm going to Google it. Like I'm going to go yeah. and do some research on it. And like, yeah. you're not necessarily using Google, but you're, you're using it as an opportunity to say, it's I'll an idiom. figure it out. Right. Yeah. You know, you say, well, Google it. I can well, look at, yeah. What am I telling you? I'm telling you to, we'll go look into it, dig into right. it. You know, that used to be, we would say, look it up. Right. But now we say Google it. Cause you had, you know, encyclopedia salesman yeah. that came around to give you encyclopedias and you get your encyclopedia and you'd look it up, you yep. know, you'd find and kind of get in there and look in it. But I think what's really interesting about it is the idiomatic expression here is that because mustard seeds were so small, right. Um, and then they could grow into a tree. Uh, the idiom became, oh, well, that, you know, you, you might talk about, you know, a, a young Jewish girl might talk about her ex-boyfriend that she doesn't like and say, instead of saying he has a pea brain, he would, she would say he has a mustard seed brain. Right. So it became that idiomatic expression. And so uh, whenever you wanted to illustrate something small, you'd say, oh, it's like a mustard seed. Well, Jesus uses a common idiomatic expression woven into the culture because of a phenomena that everyone is aware of. Everybody knows. Everybody uses mustard. Everybody the is involved in it. Culturally relevant. Yeah, super culturally relevant. And so all the people were familiar with it, and he uses it to illustrate something about the nature of the kingdom of 
God. And I think one of the things that he really digs into here is that the kingdom of God doesn't need, it's very small in some ways. And in the past, what we have said, and we'll talk more about this on Thursday, is that the gospel of Christ, which is the, the beginning of the kingdom of God, as it's planted in your life as a seed, is that it's, it's just a very simple propositional truth. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a proposition that whether you believe it or not is your choice. But it starts very small. But what's so amazing is the power of what that propositional truth goes into is self-evident. Um, I was reading of a, a historian recently who said, it doesn't matter if you believe that Jesus was God. It doesn't matter if you believe in him or not. It was a Harvard uh, history professor, uh, Pelican or something like that. And he said, there's no denying from a historical point of view that Jesus is the most influential character in the world, the history of the world. So even if you don't believe in him or don't like him, it doesn't matter. The influence of this life is far beyond any other human being that has ever existed. So that just kind of shows how, man, this small propositional truth, right, that he said, and that is, is well, what is that propositional truth? That is, well, you're created in the image of God, but you have cancer. And I came to heal you through giving my life as a ransom for many. You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. I am the resurrection and life. If you believe in me, though you you will live even though you die, which is an interesting phraseology. But nonetheless, that's the gospel at its core, that there is a God, okay? You're separated from him, and you need to be back in relationship with him, and Jesus Christ made that possible through his death, burial, and resurrection. So mm. I think it's just really an amazing thing to think about that it's just a small propositional truth, but man, the implications of that are overwhelming. Absolutely. Well, and I what I appreciate again is while these parables are somewhat riddles, they're utilizing, he's not speaking about things that are hard to understand as far as the original things like he's he's a man of the people as far as he wants to communicate at their level he's not over in the in the uh temple or or in the synagogues using the big the thou (laughs) shalt right like that we would think about today the high-minded language it was back in 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 their time they were using hebrew and all of all these different other languages but they, he was like, let me break it down to something really easy for you to understand. You guys are dealing with mustard seeds on a daily basis. Let's talk yeah. about mustard seeds. Yeah. Like he's utilizing connotations that they can actually wrap their yeah. mind around that are yeah. not so And but it's still speaking to a much higher thing, but it's mm-hmm. a much easier understanding once you know and have the ears to hear what he's actually talking about. Right? Yeah, ex- absolutely. I, I think it's a great thing. And it just talks about, wow, it's a small propositional truth that grows into a massive thing in your own personal life, but in the world as well. Yes, absolutely. So we're, we have to cruise cause we're trying to do four of these. Today, oh my, Pastor. let's keep so going. Okay. Tell me, tell me about okay. our next one. Well, the next one is interesting. It's only one verse, right? Okay. It says he spoke another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast, which a woman took and hid in three sata of flour until it was all leavened. 
So it's very short, but very interesting, okay? It begins with yeast, otherwise known as leaven. Everyone knows what it does. When it's in flour, okay, it's really interesting because we use this uh, this uh, freeze-dried yeast most people do, you know, and mm-hmm. what you have to do is you have to suspend it in water to reactivate it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, um, back then what they would do is you have yeast, you put it in, you can put it in the flour, and it stays in there. It's fine. It's stored one place. You know, people didn't have massive storage opportunities right. like we do today. They didn't have Tupperware. And so what they what would happen is it would stay that way until it was activated. How was it activated? Is you would put water, mix in oil and water with the right, and then get warm and then it would rise. Right. What does it do? Yeast is a bacteria that eats the sugars in the flour and then it gives off a gas so it makes it rise up and then when you bake that baby it's light and fluffy and it Pastor, melts all in these your mouth parables talk about food and this is before <laughs> lunch when we we're recording this and i'm getting hungry i know it makes me so hungry just <laughs> thinking about it so then he says that she put it in three sata of flour so a sata is about 20 pounds of flour. So we're not talking about a daily amount. Most people don't realize is that everybody had a millstone back there in your own home. It'd be similar to like a toaster, you know, or a microwave in your house today. It was an appliance, quote unquote. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, if you went bankrupt and you had a debtor, they could come and they could take everything. You know, they could take everything except for two things. They couldn't take your tunic, right? And they couldn't take your, your mill. Oh. Yeah. Your millstone. They couldn't take it. What it was is it was, is a is a stone that they'd put a, 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 a hole in the center of it, right? And then they would put another hole on the side of it, chip it out, put a stick in it, and then it would just spin around on top of another stone. And what you do is you throw it in there and you just keep going and keep going and keep going. And over time, it turns it into flour, and then you, you kind of take the stone out and blow the chaff away, and that's how it worked. So what these people would do is they would grind just enough flour because of the issue of storage for that day to make one loaf of bread. That's pretty much all they do is one loaf a day. Well, wait a second. We have 60 pounds of flour that that's the equivalent of somewhere between 50 and 80 loaves of bread. So Jesus making a very quick reference saying, I'm not talking about, a little bit of flour, right, mm. for just one loaf each day like we all do, right? okay? I'm talking about Big. the stuff that's been uh, ground and is stored to get you through the whole winter, okay. right? So four months worth of bread, right? And then he says this, no, she hid the yeast, okay? Wow, that's really interesting. Is why would he say that? Well, the reason why is because there's a massive amount of stored flour. It's used over the course of four months. And then what she does is she puts yeast in it. No one knows it's there until liquid is introduced. And then uh, it's placed in a warm spot. And then it works at magic. So what if you wanted to make unleavened bread? Okay, in Jewish culture, unleavened bread was not only a ceremonial bread, but it was a common bread. It was used for all sorts of foods. Uh, If you hang around Orthodox Jews very much, you know that they have all kinds of foods in their diet that have the texture of paste, spreads, 
chopped oily salads, you know. Um, they have all those kinds of things that are similar, like the hummus, and they have all these different mm-hmm. kinds of things that they have. And so having a hunk of unleavened bread right underneath it would be like a modern-day tortilla. I mean, today we got tortillas that, you know, you can make everything from tacos to wraps to burritos to yeah. you name it, you know. Very easy to utilize. Yeah, it's it's across the board easy to use. You, you can load that baby up and do yourself whatever you want. You're like, oh, see, her not making you more hungry. I'm sorry. But uh, <laughs> however, what if you grabbed the flour that had yeast in it and you didn't know that? Your unleavened bread would do what? You'd pull it out. You put some water in it. Then you set it aside. It's kind of warming in the sun. Then you go. You're prepping your other food. Takes a little longer than than we're used to. Food prep used to take tons of time. Right. So what happens is it, it, you get through to the end of it. And what happens is now you don't have a flat piece of bread like a tortilla. It's ballooning up. Right. And you're going, who put yeast in it? <laughs> you know? That's what's interesting here. You would sit there, scratch your head, and wonder how in the world did that happen? So what is Jesus saying? And I bring out all this nuance because this is what these people were thinking when they heard the story, right? right. It's like, well... Context is key. Key, yeah. Well, if yeast is in this, you can't use it to make unleavened bread. You can't use it for the ceremonial stuff either. Mm. You can't... Oh, my goodness. So she took it and hid it in there. And basically and now again, it's... it's not a single... It's not a single day's worth of bread. It's four months, months worth, worth of bread. Yeah, it's four months worth of flour. So um, anyway, long and short of it, I think he's trying to say that that the kingdom of God is, well, in a way, it's been hidden. Jesus, you know, secretly brings the kingdom of God. Many of the disciples didn't even know until after he rose from the dead what the point was. And he's planning this, and yet it's growing, right? It's having an effect. Um or maybe what he's trying to say is that even though you don't see the kingdom of God, it works its way through everything eventually. Uh, or maybe he's saying that it's hidden and it tricks you without knowing it. <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but yeah, that seems questionable. <laughs> but, but anyway, it's kind of interesting. I think that 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 is uh, yeast in the flour that was hidden in a massive storage, and so no matter what, your bread has yeast in it. Yes, it's. It is propagating its way through there, and it will affect you whether you are aware of it or not, right? Um, I think, you know, just as we move into this third parable, verses 34 and 35 look really interesting to me. We get a window into why Jesus is speaking in parables and how often he spoke in parables. So verse 34 says, All these things Jesus spoke to the crowd in parables, and he did not speak anything to them without a parable. This was so that... What was spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will proclaim things hidden since the foundation of the world. Matthew is once again showing Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy and therefore must be the Messiah. And then he drops into the next parable, right? So Matthew offers some inclination of why these parables are important. Why didn't he just come out and say it, right? Why didn't he just say the things? Well, he's fulfilling prophecy, but also, isn't it interesting? It says there is that he did not speak anything to them without a parable. Mm. So it just shows you how prevalent it was in his teaching. So, which takes us to the hidden treasure. Here's another angle of the kingdom of God. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again and from 
and, and from the joy over finding it, what does he do? He sells everything he has and he buys that field. So this short parable seems pretty straightforward. A man's walking along, right, through a field. He doesn't own the field. It could be a pasture, whatever. Maybe they're growing crops there. We don't know. And he discovers a treasure. Maybe it was a chest or a bag and it's filled with what? Precious, probably gold and silver right. and maybe even coinage. Wait, yeah, it was a treasure. So it wasn't a small amount like, ooh, I found 20 bucks. No, it was a massive treasure. I mean, it was worth an enormous amount of money. But the owner of the field didn't know that. And so he goes, sell, takes everything he owned, and he buys that field from the owner. Because he's like, this is the best. No matter what I pay for it, it's just worth paltry it. right. compared to that. Now he owns the treasure. So what is Jesus trying to say? Well, one obvious point is that the kingdom of God is more valuable than anything else in this world, right? Mm. No matter what you use, to, it is a treasure. And remember, in the same chapter, just previously, he told the parable of the tares, and he says the field is the world. Right. So maybe Matthew's trying to say this is how Tying Jesus connected it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. He also went on to say... Um, uh, that the kingdom of God is a treasure not only hidden in this world, but when you come across it, would you know how valuable it is? Would you be willing to sell all your other fields, all of your other businesses or houses or cars or, or stocks in order to buy that field with that treasure in it? It is so, wow, do you understand the value of what you have Found from even in a deeper level, I think if the world is a field, Satan has been planting in these fields over and over, and now the kingdom of God is a hidden treasure in his field. I don't mm. want to overstate this case, but just let's think about this for a second. What if that's a, a, a sub meaning, and that is, well, the treasure is the kingdom of God, right? And it's in the field of the world, most people don't discover it. Right. But once you discover it, when they see it, they're willing to give up everything Satan has to offer them in order to be in the kingdom of God. It's like that is so much worth than anything else that Satan has offered me up to this point. Yeah, I think, again, it's he's utilizing something that everyone can understand and talking about something that is relatable. It's like, yeah, yeah. if you were walking along a road and you you know, trip stumbled and found this treasure, you'd be like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta get this field so that I can get this treasure. Right. It's completely worth sacrificing anything I have in order to obtain this thing obtain that will be the, infinitely yeah. more, more, more valuable, valuable than what I currently have. Right. And that's a process, but it's an easy to understand thing. Right. Yeah. It's like, if you knew you could get a lottery ticket, if you bought, you know, 50 tickets but you only you know you had to spend all the money you had in order to get those 50 tickets but you knew you'd win the lottery then you would probably do <laughs> it right? yeah. like you're gonna yeah. give up like one of them is guaranteed yeah it's like you you knew yeah. one of those tickets was worth millions of dollars then it's like yeah you'd spend everything you had to get that thing if you knew for a fact that it was what it says it was you know lotteries you know the the metaphor falls apart in some aspects <laughs> yes. but the, all metaphors similar, do yes <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a really great point that you're making there. And that is the, the significant point is, do we understand value? So even though you don't own the field, even though you don't know God, even though you don't know Jesus, 
oftentimes the kingdom of God, you know, resonates with you, you know, the value of it. Mm. And number two, I think it's really important to understand is it, is that, are you willing to give up the other stuff you have? That means you already have stuff. It is providing, right? But is it really worth that? Right. So spiritually, and so these people are hearing these words, right? And these are very material, hands-on, you know, feet-in-the-dirt type of thing. And now he's speaking that. And so you're starting to think, hmm, so what exactly is he talking about? Especially, remember, the context is this is written to Jews, and the Jews have heard over and over and over again that the kingdom of God is what? It's a physical Physical place. place. Right. And so now now he's talking like that, and they're like scratching their heads. How does this all fit? Completely different. What does the last parable imply to us as far as the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's another real short one. He goes, again, the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it. So this parable puts a little different angle on the value of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It begins with a merchant who deals in pearls, right? So this merchant knows his business. Mm-hmm. He knows, right? That he has been a seeker of fine pearls pearls so he knows what he's looking for it's similar to those guys you ever seen one of those uh, reality shows that i watch they go into old barns you know and all i see in this barn is junk mm. right and they walk around but because this is their business you know they're going oh well this thing this machine is this and it's an antique and it's worth ten thousand dollars you know right. once you fix it up and clean it up and then you go to another oh look at this old car this old buggy or you know and pretty soon you start to get excited and then they walk up to this thing and you go oh that's worth five thousand dollars because that's this and he goes, oh, well, that's a piece of junk. It's not worth anything. <laughs> right. So, oh, I don't really know what's going on. But they do because it's their business, right? Um, so what if uh, uh, this merchant comes because he knows his business. He sees the coup de gras, the, 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 magnus, the most important thing is a pearl that's unlike any other pearl. And he knows its value. He knows what it is. It's the ultimate thing. So he sells every other pearl he has, every fine stone he has to do what? Buy the one pearl. Mm. So, so what does Jesus mean by this? And that is, I, I, think, I think we could have lots of implications, but that is the kingdom of God outweighs any other promise here on earth. And even people who are pursuing life and want the most out of life fall short, right? You might get fine pearls, but you're never going to have the ultimate one until you're in the kingdom of God. There are many people looking for spiritual answers and they find some solace in that pursuit. You know, I've said that any belief system is based on some reality of truth it's just not the ultimate truth. They never seem to be exactly what they desire until they come across the kingdom of God. You know, I think the primary reason why Christianity won the Roman Empire over is because the kingdom of God was the pearl of great price. The Romans were very spiritual people. They pursued these pagan deities. They built temples like crazy. They had whole manufacturing, like Ephesus was a manufacturing hub for idols for all the pagan deities, and it was a huge business. Mm. And that's why they persecuted Paul. They are worried, man, he's going to get rid of all of our our business. We don't like that. 
So the issue is, is that they're very spiritual people, but the Romans never had the, the perfect pearl until they heard the gospel message and they found the greatest pearl of worth in the kingdom of God. All the pagan stuff wasn't enough. Then the kingdom of God became everything they had ever hoped for. Mm. So that tells us that when people are seeking, right, they're seeking to quench a thirst of their soul. And when we help them find the kingdom of God, they're finding the pearl of great price. They're finding the ultimate satisfier of the thirst of their soul, the wellspring that comes in and basically quenches their soul thirst. And so I think all of these parables kind of give you a different angle on this truth. The kingdom of God in its value far outweighs everything else, right? But it doesn't take much, does it? Right. In order for it to grow, it doesn't take much to permeate and influence everything. It doesn't take much to see how valuable it really is. And even for those who know their business, it doesn't take, you know, to see this is the ultimate promise I have been looking for. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's not a geographical position, but it's something bigger, greater, more subtle, and more powerful than you could ever imagine. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Pastor, for sharing these four parables. I'm excited to talk about them on Thursday uh, and how they are applicable to our lives today. Because obviously a lot of these things are, are were references for people of the time and the context that they had. And sometimes we need to bring it forward a little bit to understand mm-hmm. it a little bit more. And we're also going to be celebrating our 300th episode while we discuss these Woo-hoo! parables. So that's going to be exciting. Thank you guys so much for joining us for 299 episodes. And we'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. The Salty Pastor Podcast is produced by Foothills Christian Church and filmed at Foothills Christian Church. It is hosted by Jesse Mayer and Dr. Douglas Peak. Editing by Finn Lawler.